Welcome to On the Job with Porak, your go-to place for public safety and officer rights, giving you the news you need to know and discussing the issues that matter. Welcome to On the Job with Porak. I'm your host, Brian Marvel, president of Porak. We have two special guests with us today from the Sacramento Police Department, Sergeant Ron Chesterman and Officer Chrissy Sunby. And they're with the Sacramento PD Peer Support Unit. And today's episode, we're going to be talking about wellness and how we can take care of each other on the job and off the job, uh, making sure that uh, we take a holistic approach to our careers and that, uh, that we stay safe and that our mental well-being is also being taken care of. Uh, I'm going to start with you, uh, can I call you Ron instead of Sergeant? All right, thank you. Uh, could you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and your career with Sacramento PD? I've been been with the police department since 1991. Started off as a reserve, worked for as a reserve for a few years, and then became full time in '94. So I've been here 28 or 24 years. Pardon me. Um, done a lot of jobs: canine handler, uh, work patrol, a couple of special other specialty assignments. Seen a lot of stuff in this job that uh, was negative. Uh, and it, that's what led me to become part of the peer support unit because there's a lot of things out there that I can help folks with. Great. It's been an exciting career, but uh, there's just a lot of bad things that happen sometimes, and I think you need to help people through that. No, I totally agree with you 100%. How about you, Chrissy? Um, I came on the department in 2004, um, so almost 15 years now, and uh, spent about four years in patrol, um, went to another specialty unit for a short period of time, and... Um, in 2008, we lost two officers to suicide, and I lost a friend um, and who was a deputy in another agency to suicide, and I got real interested in peer support um, and decided that that's exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so I was doing that ancillary for a couple of years until um, the chief at the time created the full-time unit, kind of in the aftermath of um, our officers who committed suicide and uh, devoted my career to helping others. Are the uh, the positions at the uh, SAC PD peer support, are they volunteers or are you chosen? We're chosen. We're chosen. We do have some ancillary uh, officers that are part of peer support, but we're the only two full-time that were chosen to do this job. How long has the, uh, the unit been around? So SAC PD has had a peer support unit as an ancillary position, so voluntarily, um, employees all the way from civilian um, record staff to captains, uh, sworn staff, who volunteer ancillary. So it's an, just another hat that they wear. So peer support's been around since the late 80s, um, was created at the time to help other officers seeing the um, the challenges of the job. And then over time, um, realized that it was more than just a part-time gig for people. And so in the aftermath, like I mentioned, in the aftermath of our two officers who committed suicide, back to back in 2008, the chief at the time said, we need to do something more for our employees. Um, two of us became full-time um, January of 2010. And so there's still just the two full-time uh, my former sergeant retired um, about a year ago, and Sergeant Chesterman took over. And currently, we have over 60 ancillary peers in the department. That's awesome. Yeah. That's good to hear. Are you seeing uh, programs like this expanding throughout the United States? Yeah. Yes. Not. I don't know that they're quite as extensive as ours is, or yours might be, but we are seeing it expanding. There's just a big dean. 
Most agencies in the United States are seeing the benefit of having a uh, part-time peer support program. So they're working with their employee assistants through the city or with a chaplaincy program, but less than 2% of agencies in the United States have a full-time unit like ours that, that can devote their entire work week, um, which turns into often a, a seven-day-a-week job, um, to the workforce. What kind of issues, uh, events uh, do you handle on a regular basis? And um, do you feel that you're always responding to a crisis or are you being proactive in preventing uh, some of the issues that you're seeing? I think we probably respond to more crisis type calls uh, where officers get involved in a call that's got some trauma to it. Um, We do some preventative uh, intervention, but I think most of our calls are probably crisis based. Yeah, on a on a daily or weekly basis, the stuff that we're working with, um, so we, we kind of divvy that up into the on-duty stuff and then the off-duty stuff. So we have our on-duty. So um, we have three shifts a day, so the day watch, mid, mid-shift, and then night watch. Um, at the end of each of those shifts, our watch commander, so the lieutenant for the shift, will send out a daily summary of significant calls um, that management or peer support or maybe our criminal intel unit need to know about. So what we do is we read through those calls um, on a daily basis. So we get three to six of those emails a day. And so we'll recap some of those and we'll highlight, we'll look through the highlights of those calls and say it was, um, for example, on Sunday, we had a dead baby call. So we're looking at the gravity of that call and saying, okay, how much were our officers exposed to that? Our crime scene investigators, what kind of follow-up do we need to do to that? Um, do for that call. So it's the on-duty stuff. Or say an officer's injured. A few weeks ago, we had an officer who was um, um, majorly injured in a car accident. So we're doing significant follow-up with he and his family at that point because there was a hospital stay. Um, And then we have the off-duty stuff too. So we have the personal crisis. We have the divorces and um, the child custody situations or maybe a major illness where we're helping not just the officer but their families. So we kind of have that twofold, the on-duty and the off-duty. And when we're not responding to those types of crisis, we're trying to be proactive. Um, I can talk about our teaching and what we do there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't yeah, know do where you, that I mean, falls too. I mean, outside of the stuff yeah. that you mentioned there, do you also deal with uh, faith-based or substance abuse or uh, financial issues? We deal with all of those. We have a chaplaincy program that's not attached to the peer support unit, but we they are available to us through the Sacramento County Chaplaincy. But our, um, which, sorry, the... Uh, chaplaincy will deal with the faith-based, faith-based issues, and we'll deal with the other issues through a- EAP or yeah. yeah. How close do you work with the uh, the police officers association? Pretty closely, yeah. and it's getting um, that relationship is getting stronger and stronger all the time. And I think the some of the personal relationships that you have with the maybe the current union too really help. Mm-hmm. So um, when there's a situation, um, say we have an officer involved shooting. One of the first things that we do is we get a hold of, um, you know, one of the POA members that is probably going to be responding, whether that be the president, vice president, secretary, and we'll coordinate together just the basic needs of food after a critical incident. So we're working together. Um, They'll pay for it. We'll pick it up or or however that works. Um, Notification of a major incident. Um, Obviously, on on a major critical incident, we're all getting those management pages to our phones. So we're aware of those pretty quickly. Um, when it comes to maybe an internal affairs issue, we're very careful. Um, obviously, we're dealing with kind of the emotional 
um, support of the person involved in the um, IA investigation and they're dealing with the legal, but they, um, you know, we may say, okay, just making sure that, that this person's being taken care of from all angles. That's, so, that sounds really yeah. good. Um, obviously, you know, a chief recognized an issue. Um, how do you how do you get along with management now? Is is management one hundred percent behind you? Do they want to expand you guys? Do you have like a countywide presence? Do you meet countywide with other agencies within Sacramento County? We do well with management. We have a great relationship with them, and they call on us uh, if they see an issue or know of an IA that's coming up, and they want us to talk to an officer. They'll let us know, hey, you might want to reach out to this officer. Internal Affairs will do the same thing, but we have a great relationship with the management. Um, you want to talk about the uh, countywide? I don't know that we meet with countywide. We're familiar with them. but Yeah, about once a year we do a, a regional peer support coordinators meeting, and it's a one-day workshop. Um, and and we try to we come together with the, just the regional coordinators or maybe the heads even if they don't have a full-time unit in their agency it's whoever's running the program for that particular agency and we come up with strategies of, of how to grow different programs current trends um, you know what other agencies are doing how we can all do it better and also to know um, to know who's in charge because we are so closely connected you know us and, and Sac County um, quite literally across the street in some region or some parts of our city is county and one one side is city and so it's helpful to know if something goes down or if somebody's struggling it's helpful to have a, a direct contact we work pretty closely with um, Sacramento Sheriff's Department peer support coordinator he's he's a good friend of ours and so um, back in September um, when one of their, their officers were killed, that impacts so strongly their entire agency. So we actually went in as peer support and we um, worked with the chaplaincy to kind of get them um, until they could really grasp what was going on because the, even their peers were affected with that death. We kind of took over um, the uh, logistics of the peer support coordinating. So it, it's helpful to know who those coordinators are. And we do work closely and, and well with them too. So based on that information, and, and both of you have been on the job for quite a while, um, take us through uh, a hypothetical, uh, we don't want to use any real cases here, but uh, on an officer-involved shooting or a critical incident. Um, so do you get like a text message and Say it's, an, say it's at like one in the morning. They never happen during working hours. Of course not. Hours. Uh, so <laughs> Sunday from, night. Yeah, yeah, Sunday night at one. Right. Uh, yeah. well, how, run me through what that would look like for you and uh, your wellness unit, your, so your sport. Chris mentioned a few minutes ago that we would get a uh, management page. So it's basically a text message to your phone saying, hey, this this incident just occurred. We'll call our comm center, get a little more details, how many officers were involved in the shooting. Um, where are they at now? Are they still at the scene? Have they moved them to a station? Um, and then we will communicate with one another, see if we have on-duty peers that can actually respond to the scene and meet with the officers right away. Um, and we normally do. We have enough officers to do that. And then Chris and I will head in from home and head to wherever the officers are, and then we'll do our best to take care of them and meet their needs, whatever that may be, as the night goes through. And it's usually a long night. Did I miss anything? No, probably that was, did. That pretty, <laughs> pretty much it. So, go ahead. No, and then uh, obviously, you know, you, you roll out, you're on the scene, you're helping the officer, and then I'm assuming the POA probably shows up to, you know, f help out the officer during that time. How do you balance the peace officer, you know, bill of rights with uh, helping the needs of the officer and what management needs to do to investigate the incident? 
So we stay out of the investigation. We're concerned about the officer's well-being. So we don't want to violate PLBR or any of the other things that we could get involved in, be part of the investigation. We're strictly concerned about how is the officer doing? What do you need? Do you need coffee? Do you need food? Whatever the case may be. Yeah, we'll help. Um, we call it kind of the, you know, at the scene or immediately after a critical incident. What we're focused on is kind of the, uh, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Yeah. Like um, Sergeant mentioned, do they are they hungry? Are they thirsty? Is it 108 degrees out or is it pouring down rain? How can we make them the, as comfortable as possible? Because it's going to be a really long night or day, depending on when the incident occurred, right? Um, they also are going to have maybe phone calls to make to loved ones. And if they haven't made those phone calls to whoever those loved ones are, we're going to help facilitate that, um, maybe help keep their loved ones in the loop of what's going on. Um, you know, if it's a spouse, we're going to um, maintain communication with the spouse throughout the night. Okay, they're, they're in there doing their interview. We're looking at another, you know, four hours before they can come home, whatever that information may be, to help ease the process for them and their families also. Um, as, as basic as coordinating their personal property that they may have left in their patrol car um, before the incident occurred, right? Getting their house keys or their car keys or their lunchbox. Um, and then explaining to them exactly what's going to happen over the course of the next few days. Okay, you're going to be on admin leave. Here's some, um, here's what to expect. Here's who's going to call you. Here's what you need to do before you come back to work. Helping them get more time off if they need that. Um, explaining to them the reactions that they potentially might have um, and how they're going to feel after a critical incident like this. Yeah, I mean, it, it, a lot of work obviously goes into this, and and I know earlier you said that you know you were chosen um, as the peer support officers for your department. Um, are you looking for other officers to cultivate and and maybe train to ultimately replace you at some point in time? Uh, do you go around the department so people know who you are? They're like, oh, I know exactly who Sergeant Chesterman is. I'm gonna, that's the guy I need to talk to, or Officer Chrissy. Um, how do you get the message out to your department members that you're the two people that if there are issues facing somebody, you're the ones to call? Fortunately, this unit has been around long enough, and Chris and the prior sergeant did a great job of, of um, advertising peer support so everybody knows who we are. And we both go to the different stations all the time and attend roll calls or just go in and say hi. So there's never any doubt about who we are and how to get a hold of us. Um, because our phones ring a lot, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. and people come into our office just to chit-chat every right. once in a while. So, um, As well as the management. We'll go in and, and go to our main office down in uh, South Sac and just go in and talk to all the chiefs, talk to the chiefs and the deputy chiefs and the captains. and They know who we are, but we just go in about once a week and just touch base with them. We also start communication um, with new employees from the get-go. So all new employees, um, uh, sworn um, mostly, we talk to our, we teach to our dispatchers and our crime scene investigators also. Um, but focusing on the sworn workforce, they um, they get a four-hour training class with us before they hit the streets. So they'll graduate the academy. They have about four to five weeks of in-service departmental training, and that's um, one of those classes is uh, is uh, four-hour class with us. And then the following night, we bring in their families also, um, and we introduce the program to them and what resources are available, what the families are to expect as their officer enters this new culture, this new lifestyle. Um, and then we also go in about every year, every other year in our annual officer training, and we teach a new topic, reiterate resources, talk about employee assistance, talk about what we are and what we aren't. 
Um, and so we're um, pretty ingrained in the culture at SAC PD at this point. We just finished our cycle of teaching two weeks ago, yeah, three weeks ago, whatever yeah. it was. How does the uh, the teaching, do you have like a regional academy here or do you also go to other agencies and, and teach there too? We teach at our own academy. Um, I know there's a regional academy here for extended, the extended folks that want to go to the 10-month academy. We don't reach out to them unless they get hired by us. So, yeah, we have Sacramento Police has our own police academy, um, and so we we talk to them before they enter the academy. Um, we're there if needed during the academy, and then right after they graduate, they come through our class. Very nice. Um, obviously, um, you are well aware of a lot of the legislation that's going on here in California, uh, plus the the national dialogue uh, that's being driven by the media. Um, do you feel that um, are you getting calls from officers that the you know the expectation is for them to be perfect in their role as police officers? Uh, I, I have to assume there's probably a lot of stress on officers working the streets right now. And um, you know, I came on in 1999, and you you got a f- quite a few years more than me. You know, the technology advancement has been so great in the 19 years that I've been on. Uh, the ability for officers to basically find everything and anything they would need out on the streets Um, but there comes pressure and I know you guys have body cameras my agency has body cameras Um, you know there's there's almost this uh, expectation that we're robots and we're infallible and we're not going to make mistakes are you seeing officers calling you about those types of pressures and how to deal with those I'm sure we both have something to say on that but yes we are Um, we're seeing officers coming to us and, and expressing concern, especially the younger officers, but as well, and Chris, I'm sure will address this, the family members. Uh, back in, I want to say May, Chris, we did a spouse and uh, family night where we invited spouses of officers to come in and, and just uh, listen to one of our clinicians talk. Uh, she was going to talk for 30 minutes. Uh, we had about 40 guests there. At 90 minutes, she asked for a time check because the, the was so interactive. People were concerned about what's going on with the protests in Sacramento and some of the other things that are happening right now. But we get a lot of those questions, a lot of concerns, um, both from what the department's doing right now and what the community's saying. Yeah, regarding the body-worn cameras, I mean, um, you take any uh, cop with a certain amount of time on and you introduce a new program and change is hard, right? And there's a certain level of resistance. Um, But the body-worn cameras has thrown a different spin on that. Um, and so you see the, um, why do we need this, right? Especially with the veteran cops. And there is value in it. They just need a little while to get used to it. Um, the new cops, the body-worn cameras, just like when a lot of us came on, there was certain technology that wasn't there 10 years prior, but we don't know any different, right? You don't know what you don't know. Um, when we see the most stress come out of some of this and, and the pressure from the media and um, the, the higher level of exposure to, of the officer is after a critical incident. And now my name, my incident, my story um, is out there. And now what about my family? What about my social media? What about my address getting out there? What if people find out where I live? What about threats on my family? Because these are very real concerns. Absolutely. And they've happened right here in Sacramento um, after you know some of our incidents over the last couple of years. So that's where a lot of the stress comes from is this job is no longer about me on the job in uniform, it's bled over into my family and stress on my family. And we get a lot of um, stress 
Oh, a lot of conversations surrounding that, especially after major critical incidents. No, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing it now. I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, when we had some issues down in San Diego, uh, officers were getting doxxed. Uh, you know, the, the technological advancements, um, you know, people can cyber bully people. They terrorize them. They terrorize their family. Um, it's very unfortunate. And uh, I wish the elected officials at the Capitol would have a greater understanding of how, how, like you stated, it does bleed over into your personal life, uh, your family, your children. Um, And I don't think that's um, something that they fully grasp over there. And some of this legislation that's coming out, I think, will uh, adversely affect that and make it even more uh, for, like, criminals to go after uh, officers uh, personally and, and their families, which is very unfortunate. Um, based on your experiences and, and what you've seen from other uh, departments and agencies, what they're implementing, are there things that PORAC, uh, we can do legislatively to, to maybe push this? Like you said, I think you said only 2% of the agencies actually have like a peer support wellness program. Um, one, I guess, my first question is, do you see uh, more people wanting to do this down the road? Or is this something that maybe PORAC, we can do at the state level to start maybe start having agencies uh, implementing these types of programs? I think I think PORAC could be instrumental in implementing some of these programs. You know, you look at the, the group of an officer, a group of officers, and they've all been through a lot of trauma, and we need to address that. So when they retire, they can retire well, or when they're, even when they're employed, they're a good employee. They're not calling in sick because they're reliving something that they can't get rid of. Um, so I think it's, it's a detriment to the department if they don't have a peer support program. Yeah, awareness. I think that's one of the biggest things um, that can be um, help the forward movement of programs like ours or or like San Diego or San Francisco is the awareness of um, the impact of the job, not only on the officers, but on their families as well. Um, And that's somewhere we've started going, especially in the last year, is obviously the, the, the workforce, right? The officers are dispatchers, our crime scene investigators, they're our number one priority because they're our coworkers, and that's why we have a peer program. But more and more, we're working with the spouses and with the families and having guest speakers and clinicians. And um, we have another event coming up on August 30th where we have a, an author of a couple law enforcement uh, relationship books coming to speak. Um, so I think the awareness of the impacts of the job is, is one of the biggest ways to support these programs and move, for, move forward with them. When I started in uh, full-time in 94, this was non-existent. And so I'm not sure other than alcohol or whatever the case may be, how those those folks that were working back then got through these incidents. I mean, you talk to your friends and they went out and went drinking or whatever, but it's not the way to handle things. Yeah, definitely, especially now. Yeah. Um, you know, I agree. When I came on in 99, uh, alcohol was, was, was big. Right. Um, and I think there has been a change now where – you know, a lot of the uh, younger officers are much more into the fitness piece of right. it. and Which is great. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's, it's healthy. You yeah. bet. You bet. Well, I want to thank uh, Sergeant Ron Chesterman and Officer Chrissy Sunby from Sacramento Police Department Peer Support Unit for coming and talking about a subject that we uh, definitely need to push out more. And uh, I think we need to do more on the legislative piece of it to get more agencies Agreed. involved in this program. Um, I'm very fortunate with my department. Uh, We have a very robust wellness unit like Sacramento PD. And uh, I think that uh, 
having individuals like yourself uh, that are willing to do that because it is a calling. On top of being a police officer, now you've taken another calling of helping your own peers. And I think that's vitally important, uh, especially like you talked about the cumulative trauma over the years of things that we've seen. And, uh, you know, there's there's people out there that this is their profession. I'm sure they're, they're coming up with creative ways that we can address the, the trauma that officers see. And first responders, uh, like you said, dispatchers deal with a lot of stuff and also our, our brethren in the firefighting department. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they need help too. And uh, I really appreciate all the work you're doing for your Sacramento officers. Thank you for coming to thank you. Uh, thank you for Porak time, on the job. For having us. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on our social media platforms. Go to porak.org for more info. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Google, please give us five stars. This helps us to get noticed. Don't forget to share our podcast with your members, friends, and families. All the best and have a safe day. That's it for this episode. Make sure you tune in next time as we discuss the issues that matter.